Welcome to another fantastic Crunch episode. I'm Leslie Wisniewski, your producer of the Mythos Manual podcast and these Crunch episodes. I'm sitting down per usual with our game master, Calder David. Hey, what's going on? And one of our player characters, Paul Kruger. Sup, nerds? That includes us, because we're here. Yeah. We are the nerds. We are. This episode is informally and not in any monetary way sponsored by Flamin' Hot Cheetos because we have a bowl of them sitting here. I thought you were going to say nerds. <laughs> no, not, no, not nerds the candy. We don't have a bowl of those. We do, however, have a bowl of Flamin' Hot Cheetos. I destroy nerds like the candy when they're around me. Like by the handful, I will just shovel them into my mouth. I, I don't think they even nerds. they don't even come in a handful. Yeah, I was I don't think I've ever actually touched nerds with my hands. I think I've just opened the box and then just taken it like yeah, a but, shot of Patron. But you can get like mm. you can get like the giant things and nerds and like you ever But who would do that? Easter. Easter is the time <laughs> where candy is king. I, I don't know when like Easter became like a bigger like like Halloween's like, oh, you get handed Halloween, but you have to work for it. Easter you don't have to work for it. And it's not the minis. And you just get like big at least that's how my family treats Easter. It's like you get big heaps of candy on Easter, like heaps and heaps. I usually get a new shirt or something. Yeah, no. <laughs> no? Candy. I get one of my two annual invitations to attend mass. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. The Reese's eggs, those were always my big Easter candies. Better ratio of peanut butter to chocolate. Okay, sure. Well, before we go down this spiral of snacks. There's a lot of peanut butter in those. There is, and it's not even real peanut. Stop. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to get on this tirade. It's not even Easter time. And besides, we're not sponsored by Reese's. We're sponsored by Flamin' Hot Cheetos, which we will proceed to crunch on the mic through this entire episode. Yeah. That's why we call them Crunch Episodes. Because they're sponsored by Crunchy Cheetos. (laughs) Well, but not formally. We do not endorse. We do not represent the views of Chester Cheeto in any way, shape, or form. Chester Cheeto does represent our views, though. That's true. true. And we are excited about the Flamin' Hot Cheeto movie. Yeah. Like, like, I'm cheesy and I'm sexually adventurous. And like, just like the Cheeto. I can't even begin to follow that up (laughs) with anything. Let's jump in to talking a little bit about the last two episodes from this week. A lot of fun things happening. Kicking off, of course, with all those gorillas. It was the one with all the gorillas. The one with all of the gorillas, as opposed to the other episodes that had less gorillas. Marginally less. Fewer. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So this is a combat setup that we were kind of familiar with. It was a gorilla attack at night on the camp. Everyone was kind of aware it was probably going to happen. So when you're having, uh, I guess, themes for your fights, and especially like you're wrangling larger combats that aren't quite into like uh, like war or tactical type combats, how do you guys find ways to keep those uh, those conflicts interesting, both on like a character level for you, Paul, and also just as a running level for you, Cal. Those are those are some of the more challenging fights, especially with you're involving a lot of combatants at once. And that fight, I think I decided to throw out every NPC was on the board, which we almost never do. Usually, even like I think previous attacks, I've, I've included like, oh, so-and-so is up, so-and-so is up. But like the rest of them are just like not in the combat and because it's easier to kind of quantify. Not everybody needs a turn. You know, the game, the turns, the more people it's in a combat, the longer the combat's going to take. And you want to keep things like, no one likes a combat that lasts too long. Even the most exciting combats can last too long. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a, it's a definite, it's a really delicate balance to strike. Uh, with this fight, what I wanted to do, you know, from the beginning of when we started to see these attacks on from the Charukan, the war apes, 
that they've been building. They've gotten bigger and bigger since they've started to happen. And this one's the biggest yet. And it's a huge wave of them. It's I think it's like really like two big groups of them coming in from both sides of the camp. How many were there? Oh, I don't know offhand like anymore. Like eight, ten? Yeah, I think it was like eight. Or, like, I think it was like more apes than Charuka. I think it was like three or four Charuka and then like five war apes. Some of that. It was a lot. It was a big fight. Yeah. And I wanted to kill people. Like that was definitely like, the goal going in. Like I wanted to like have a big messy fight where like people are going down and and things are getting crazy. And that didn't really happen. And I guess like you also want to really reiterate to the players, I assume at this point, that these aren't random attacks. They're calculated and it's not just like a random encounter while you're out exploring. Right. They are attacking because you are here. It is deliberate. Yeah. yeah. It, it has to kind of, and it's ranching up that tension. Like, we just left the dungeon. So I think everybody, not that everyone forgot about the ape thing, but like, I think as players, sometimes you need to be reminded of all the story stuff you're trying to juggle at once. That's a big part of this campaign for me is to remember that there's a lot of mystery happening. Who are these apes? What's happening in this jungle? And to keep all of those ideas in people's brains, you have to kind of uh, hit them with a bunch of apes sometimes and make a <laughs> and make a big battle happen. Yeah, and I mean, timing it specifically every single time you do it when we're all going to sleep, it kind of gave it this feel of, you know, the first episode proper of the Battlestar Galactica series, like not the three-hour miniseries, the one where the Cylons are after them every 33 minutes. Yes, yes. Like, I kind of got that sort of vibe from how the Charuka are treating the inhabitants of the camp. Like, they know what our limitations are. They do not have the same limits, and they are exploiting our need for sleep and for eight hours of rest to replenish our spell slots. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they keep applying greater and greater amounts of pressure to the same spot until it creates a weakness. And Paul, whenever, uh, whenever you were in the moment of those couple of sessions, did you feel like, uh, this this isn't a problem that's just going away. This is something we have to address. Do you feel like that was communicated effectively? No, I definitely think it was communicated effectively every single time. Like the first time you could have maybe argued that... You can hand wave it. Yeah, that some... like I don't know. Uh, a scouting party from the Charuka village, or what we now know as the Low City, uh, stumbled over our camp. But two times, no. And then three times, especially this time where they came back in such force... No, you definitely get the sense that this is a very direct campaign of eradication, which does really add the stakes. Because, like, at level three, uh, which we're at right now, even the longest combat still doesn't take, like, a super long amount of time. But, you know, we've played in campaigns where we were level 12, level 15, and some of the high-level boss fights took as much as two hours to resolve, and... It could just be really, really frustrating. All these turns of rolling dice and Cal misses us, we miss Cal... Um, and there's 20 minutes. And th- yeah, and there's 20 minutes yeah. as we like scrounge around in like the bottom of our pockets for whatever weird rules our classes have that might be able to give us a plus one and it's still not enough. That kind of thing. And so you need to find you need to find that emotional through line in order to take you through a long encounter or else you're just going to get bored uh with all of the math homework involved. Do you feel like because all of the NPCs were like on the board and actively involved in this attack, did you feel the pressure as a player to like, I have to resolve this before someone dies? Uh, absolutely. I mean, uh, listeners at home will probably have noticed by now that while uh, Alan as Damius has been doing a lot of the research type stuff and Christy as Kata has been doing a lot of the exploration of the jungle, Kafka's actually been the one that's kind of been running around the camp and trying to advance the personal clocks a little bit more. So 
by the time all of this rolled around and everybody was uh, at stake, uh, both as a player and as a character, I had formed, I think, pretty believable ties to everybody. And so even though Kafka, like, yeah, Kafka's in it for himself, but at this point he now cares about these people at least enough to go out of his way and risk his feathers to help them. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, and I think that works really well. And I think you got, you and, it's like you and Alan are really particularly effective in this fight. Mm-hmm. And it happened, because it, 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 the fight gets turned around pretty quickly. I think Alan sends one of the, like, my first girls into the jungle screaming. A couple of them get dealt with really quick. And the fight becomes much more manageable than I really wanted it to be <laughs> kind of quickly. Which ends up being good, and that's and like you know, let the story happen as it's happening because that's like that's what happens, and I like that as a GM. I think it's important to be like I put out an idea, and then like dice and my players' ideas then dictate how my idea moves, and I think that's like the, some of the most fun parts of being a GM is to not really have an idea of how something's about to go down. You just kind of put out some pieces and just see what they do. And like even if like you didn't, even if you didn't end up killing people the way you maybe anticipated, I'm sure for Paul and Christy and Alan to to have the map go out, okay, there's an encounter, and then just piece after piece after piece after piece gets laid down, and mm-hmm. then more emerge, and then it becomes a question of, oh, no. Like, I, once there was the grasp for you, Paul, of, like, the number, were you like, uh-oh. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think if you've accomplished that sense of dread... Uh, in your players and the if the idea floats in their head of this could go really bad then yeah. i think you're still kind of accomplishing that goal yeah you're right it's, it's about invoking a fear a, a sense of dread and because that dread then translates into things like you know chrissy as kata deciding that the next step to do for to make sense is to find the low city which that that pushes that story further and so mm-hmm. it works like like it works it accomplishes what i want it to do exactly and then when a friendly face full of leaves shows up and is like i have a safe place for you then there's even more motivation to potentially check that out friendly my feathery ass <laughs> i'm telling you right now mathilty is i don't know the the queen bitch of some kind of crazy nature cult Kafka, Kafka is putting, is drawing his line in the sand on that, and so is Paul the player outside of combat. <laughs> I do not trust her. Well, let's talk about that a little bit because all roleplay games are, at the end of the day, a bunch of decisions that you make as individuals and as a collective. There's the saying that you don't split the party, you don't go player versus player. It's all these things to really encourage collaboration, but every once in a while you hit a crossroads where Kafka and Paul are like, forget this. And everyone else is like, she's a sweet old lady, calm your feathers, right? So let's talk a little bit about those intersections whenever parties have to make decisions and you're kind of at an impasse, right? Because you don't want to compromise on a character mm-hmm. and you don't want to compromise on those decisions that you've made as the player. But the story's got to <clears throat> move forward, right? The clock is ticking. And as listeners continue into this podcast, you will find that more than any of the other players, I am definitely the person who will put his foot down and say, no, Kafka wouldn't do this thing, even if it's the more uh, expedient thing to do story-wise. And I think while that might be a bit frustrating in the moment, it ultimately creates a better experience. Sometimes collaboration isn't just about creating a lack of friction. It is about creating a flint against which everybody else can strike to create a spark. And I think it creates, for instance, in this particular case, when we do it in front of an audience, I think it creates more interesting radio when you have at least one person in the scene who is speaking what a more skeptical listener at home might be thinking. 
because then they're no longer having the frustration of why is everybody just going along with this? They, they can say, oh, the bird guy, the bird guy and I, we know what's up. Mm-hmm. And then if the two if the two of us end up being wrong, then we end up being wrong. But if the two of us end up being right, then that listener at home feels that much more clever. And by that same token, uh, when we don't have an audience around, I still think it's a really important thing to, you know, we've been in parties before where we didn't really have a clear inter-party dynamic. Like we were, you know, to use the cliche term, we were a group of murder hobos. We went around from one place to another. <laughs> Every character had a couple discernible personality traits. But if you had actually asked me, like, what do these t- any two random characters in this party look like when they hang out, just the two of them? I wouldn't have been able to tell you because we didn't have those moments. And so what I really learned over the past five and a half years I've been playing D&D is that you need those inter-party dynamics in order to make, say, a big battle feel better. Uh, Mm -hmm. Because then it's not just, well, they're on my team, so I have to help them. It's, oh, I have these specific experiences with this uh, player character, and now I'm invested in them, even if they're my rival. Even if I think that they're stupid and wrong about everything, no one's allowed to kill them except for me. Right. Um, And I think that that creates a richer role-playing experience. And Cal, for you, like running a game, I'm sure you've definitely seen parties come to that kind of crossroad and then hit a point where it's like, well, we can't agree. Is there anything that like you try to do in those moments to help like grease the wheel or like... That can be really tough. I think what I try to do as a GM is I really do enjoy leaving big open-ended questions and giving the players the freedom to explore their own ideas. And that was a big push, especially in the Eyes in the Mist campaign, was to allow the players the freedom to kind of do whatever they wanted. But that's it can be tough, though, because you're trying to also tell a story with a sense of urgency and a sense of stakes, right? Yeah. And, and those kind of can kind of run up at each other because on one hand I don't want to make the players feel like I've railroaded them right like I never told them you have to go to Sugar Glade you have to go to the low city that's never something you have to do but like it does seem like it might move the story in a certain direction or there could be some sort of other benefit to it like you you know they were invited to these places everything seems okay there might be a good reason to go and I and it's hard for me as a GM because I really want to allow the players the freedom to make a choice. But like at the same time, I do want them to go somewhere specific. We talk about the different types of storytelling in role play, and it's usually either sandbox or railroading, right? Sandbox right. being you explore, you you have fun, it's very Skyrim. Whereas railroading is you do A, B, C, D, all the way to Z. And you're definitely trying to strike that balance between the two. Yeah, and like... To that point, and also to kind of clarify my previous point a little bit further, make interesting choices that may sometimes create conflict, but don't be a dick. Yeah. Like, you notice, Kafka keeps insisting that she is the queen bitch of a wilderness cult, but he also doesn't, like, drag his feet on the story. Like, I don't excuse myself from the scene in a huff, and I don't stop us from going to Sugarglade. I just present that point of view. And there are points where you can kind of throw your weight around a little bit more and say, no, I don't think we should go into this room. And I know you two want me to go in this room with you, but I just, you either I won't do it or you need to give me a better justification than what there is in the narrative right now. Yeah. And I, and I think that's part of where you can find that balance and, to, and not being a dick. It's less necessarily about getting your way. 
and more about finding a way for the story to make sense uh, of why your character would do this thing that, say, the rest of your party might want you to do, even if you, the player, and you, the character, are not necessarily convinced yet. That's true. And even, like, you do go to Sugar Glade. Everybody goes. And I think that your goals there are very different from the rest of the party. So you're able to make checks and ask questions that fuel those motivations because Kafka's coming from a place of distrust. So he's Mm -hmm. trying to essentially do some safe recon and figure out what the heck is going on. Yeah. Yeah. And whether you are the outlier or the majority of what your party wants to do, you always have to respect your other player's agency. I always said that uh, that it was a bad idea to go, but I never said that Christy and Alan shouldn't go or that they were stupid for going. Like, right. Because be- I have to respect them as collaborators. We're telling a story here, whether that's on a mic or not. Um, you know, you have to respect your player's autonomy the way you expect yours to be respected. Yeah, for sure. I, it's never good, I think, to micromanage another player. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just it's just not a healthy creative relationship. Um, but let's talk a little bit about Sugar Glade. So we we've entered into this new it feels like that mystery spot on the map that you finally unlocked somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really exciting. And now we have a whole bunch of different little areas that we're familiar with and we can play in. We've got the Lost Colony of Leroy. We've got Poema. We've now, we we realize the Low City exists somewhere out in the world and Sugar Glade is here too. And yep. all of these are, are able to function as kind of, as set pieces mm-hmm. for your characters to like really dig in and uh, deepen the story. And Cal, this question's for you. Have these places always existed? Have they always been on the map? Or are they places that you've just been like, ah, now you find this thing? Okay, I think, I see what you're saying. I am trying very hard in this campaign to keep everything as open and a little loosey-goosey as I can. I really like the idea of the players exploring at their own leisure and finding things as they find them and like where the story dictates is like I have my input, but I want their input to be important too. And I have a big list of like places that they're going to find or possibly could find, right? Yeah. Uh, well, the places we found so far, a lot of these do feel... Like, there wasn't a way they couldn't do it, right? Like, there, yeah. like, there isn't a version where they don't find Leroy first, and there isn't a version where they don't go to Poema. Like, those were two... Those are mandatory. Those are mandatory. <laughs> those are, like, those are cornerstones to this campaign. This campaign is something else without those places. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then afterwards, like, for instance, let's say, like, Mithilti and Sugar Glade. Yes, they they didn't never they never had to go to Sugar Glade for sure, but I always knew that like Mithilti would eventually Present, as a yeah, yeah as like a druid of this jungle and a person with this connection to the place, she will eventually realize that there's a group of outsiders at Poema, and she will send like you know she does what she does she reaches out to them, and I put that in there as because uh, I have a calendar essentially that I'm following like the, the map of this whole adventure isn't a map it's a calendar really it's a schedule there's a schedule like certain things are going to kind of happen on certain dates like there's some of it's like like you know around this time so and so might happen or around this time this event could trigger so this is what i had like you know in this like second week in the jungle that's when mythilty kind of takes notice and she reaches out to offer her help that's that's like the impetus for her showing up to begin with that was the invite so i knew that there was a chance like yeah there's they will probably find sugar glade they will almost certainly find it, but I mean, like the story could the story could go in a different way, and maybe they just never go. Maybe like they all feel like Paul and Kafka did, and they all feel distrusting of the situation, and none of them, 
end up going. And that would also be a completely valid choice. Yeah, definitely. And a smart one. <laughs> a really smart one. It feels like Sugarglade and the Low City, Poema and Leroy, and maybe these other places that you still have kind of in your little knapsack of places. Uh, it seems like all of them have the potential to be very important. So does that mean that they will be necessarily? Or is it an instance where the characters like Paul will or not? You're a player. <laughs> Players like Paul. Well, people say I am quite the character. <laughs> ah. <laughs> well, will the PCs have an impact on which places that we're seeing, which one of those will be the most important? If they just commit all their time to the Lost Colony, will that become more important? Like, how are you kind of weighing that out? Or is everything in flux and things will solidify as we continue? I think things are a little bit more in flux right now. Like, things could be important. Like, there's definitely in my mind places that are just more important and have more going on than other places. Uh, but that doesn't mean, like, some place could, like, suddenly be unimportant and then really important or vice versa, right? Like, maybe at some point, Poema is no longer a big deal. Or, you know, they, do they ever have to go back to Leroy? Maybe, maybe not. It's interesting, too, because, like, Paul, I don't think that you guys would have set off into the jungle to try to find an, a potential nature cult, right? That Unprompted, I guess. Oh, absolutely not. I would never try to find a nature cult accidentally or on purpose. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, but it seems like Mathilti coming to camp and also the Charuka attacks, all these external forces, not only are they interrupting the work that everybody came out to do, but they're also bizarre invitations into the jungle, right? Mm -hmm. It feels like the jungle is very much calling out to everybody. There's so, there's so many little pockets of mystery spread out through everywhere. And this whole thing is a mystery. And so what I like, you know, in a good mystery, you're always introducing new elements. Like maybe this is the killer. Maybe this is the place. Maybe this is the answer we're looking for. But usually, you know, the best version is like those answers you receive always just lead to more questions. Yeah. And speaking to your question of where the weight is going to fall based on these locations, the thing that I appreciate about uh, Cal's approach to storytelling is that, I mean, obviously, I know Cal has some very fixed ideas about what this campaign looks like moving forward. But I also know that Cal respects his players and their agency and what they're interested in. If moving forward, we decide that Sugarglade is going to capture a lot of our interest, I'm sure that Cal will adjust his plans accordingly so that Sugarglade features more prominently because he wants to respond to that interest within reason. Yeah. For instance, we have this tribe of frog people because like that's another location one we haven't seen yet. But the presence of frog people prisoners, Gripply prisoners in the low city suggests that there's a place that they came from. And maybe when we get there, we really like the NPCs that we meet. Or maybe we get there and it's, and it's just super boring. Who knows? But based on how we interact with it, I know that Cal will adjust his story accordingly to suit our interests. Um, and I think that that's a really cool approach to playing Pathfinder. It's It makes us feel like we have an impact in the world. Yeah. Not we're part of it. Not only are you reacting to your surroundings, but your surroundings are to an extent reacting to you. Yeah. And I, yeah. Yeah. And like this kind of ties back into our first topic about combat. Because, I mean, you know, combat is a form of storytelling. It's another form of conversation. And I think there's this dichotomy that we can all fall into, especially in the middle of a tough combat encounter, this notion that the DM and the players are against each other. But that's really not the case. The DM and the players are on the same team, and the goal is for all of us to try and tell a story. 
He just has different tools to tell the story than we do. And whether that is combat or exploration, um, you know, if you go into all of these interactions with the base assumption that everybody is just trying to tell the best story possible, you kind of can't really make a bad decision. I mean, you can make bad decisions, don't get me wrong, but usually those bad decisions create really good stories. Uh, I think that is the perfect place to end it. Uh, so just remember out there, if you've made a bad decision, try to turn it into a good story. Yeah, if you've made bad decisions, congratulations. You're probably a protagonist. At least human. Make sure that you like and subscribe. Leave us a baby review because that's how we get our money. Just kidding. We don't get money off of this podcast. So it's even more important that you review and subscribe. And Until also, Chester Cheeto pays up. That's so true. Uh, check out our Twitter, Mythos Manual. Check out our website, MythosManual.com. It's all Mythos Manual. So easy to find us. And you know what? We should talk about other things that you should check out. Right, Paul? Why, Leslie, I don't know what you could possibly be talking about. Guys, Paul has a book coming out, Steel Crow Saga. It's coming out in 12 days. You should pre-order that noise. It's honestly, like, not even as Paul's friend, but, like, it's really good. It's a really good book. It's we- super fun. It's it's Full Metal Alchemist and Pokemon and, and colonialism and, and Paul's just, like, own weeb 12-year-old self wrapped into a beautiful book. Honestly, we love it. It's fantastic. It's really good. It's honestly really good. Ah, shucks. Thank you. Yeah, Steel Crow Saga. It comes out September 24th in print, digital, and audio formats. If you are in a Commonwealth country, it comes out on Thursday, September 26th in all of those same formats with a slightly different cover. Um, And I think they've changed all the spelling so that there's gratuitous U's and E's (laughs) everywhere. (laughs) Classic. Uh, Well, thank you guys so much for tuning in to this week's Crunch. And I wish you the best. I just get wetter. Oh no. (laughs) Thanks for tuning in to the Mythos Manual. Be sure to check us out on our socials at Mythos Manual or our website, mythosmanual.com. May all your roles be 20s.